Let me move on to something that recently happened just about five years ago. A gentleman by the name of Mike Mbuvi Sonko. This is a man who was born in Mombasa about 45 years ago. Mike Mbuvi Sonko was born into a relatively, they weren't poor, but they weren't people of means. Growing up, going through school, started uh, into business, and the business that he was was being a an errand boy or an errand guy for people who are in doing buying and selling land in Mombasa. He learned that trade and became good at it. And that's where he made his first break financially. Being successful, possibly getting greedy, he was found guilty of falsifying documents and was incarcerated. I'm not sure if it was five or four years he was given. Shimolatea Maximum Prison says this, and I quote from one of its, I mean, the, we have learned with shock that Mike Mbuvi, like Mbuvi Gideon Kyoko, alias Sonko, is still alive. <laughs> According to the facility records, Sonko died in June 2005 in Coast General Hospital after suffering a heart attack and buried in Kwale. We have written to Committee Maximum Prison to facilitate transfer of their prisoner to Shimolatewa to finish his sentence since he has resurrected. You laugh. But once he made his break, he moved to Nairobi and got involved in the transport business. For those of you who lived in Buru, in the early 2000s, the 5-8 mats, there were two. One of them was called Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings was a matatu that in traffic would not be stopped by the cops. Others were stopped, but that one was not stopped. It would go here and there. There would be roadblocks, there would be people, it would never be stopped. You ask why? But we all knew who the owner was. I knew the owner because I lived in the same hood with him. In fact, the same court. I knew where he stayed. We stayed in the same court. And that time I was church planting. In, uh, in Eastlands with Nairobi Chapel, Mashariki Church, now known as Mavuno Mashariki. But the interesting thing is, we got to know who this guy was. So popular was he, okay? When there was a water problem, Bowser's were there for free. Free rides to young ladies on the Matatus. We knew what he was doing because he ran for MP for Makadara and won with a landslide. Very popular guy. And after becoming the member of parliament for Makadara, with all the theatrics, the new constitution changed. And he was elected as the second senator of Nairobi. We used to have a senator 
1963 until the constitution was changed. And then we went on and then the constitution was changed again in 2010. So you history. Ask your pastor. He's a student of history. He'll tell you how that happened. But Mbuvi became the second senator of Nairobi. Okay? And in being the second senator of Nairobi, began to actively win over the masses with the Sonko rescue team. Where government failed, there was Sonko. I was a beneficiary of some of his services. Because our neighbors were complaining and he had, he came, he came with his bowsers, people got water. When there was a fire, especially in the slums, he'd be there. Sonko was popular. And at that time, he was beating down the, current, the, the governor at that point because of the failures of, that, of the governor at that point. So much that at 2017, this guy said he was going to run for governor. Without a shadow of a doubt, he was going to win. But what was the problem? The problem was, are we going to give this guy almost $1 billion every year to determine our future? We're like, gangster guy, popular. Are we going to do this? All right. We'll get a CEO to be his deputy. So, you know, that's what you guys decided, you. We'll get a CEO to be his deputy. Okay? So the CEO will deal with governing. This guy will deal with politics. Senior, that is what you said. And you went and voted for him. You, you guys, you guys. You voted. You voted for him. And especially those of you who didn't vote, you voted. Because six months later, that CEO quit. We knew the problem, but we let it go. And that by three years into that, even when he left, there was no hue and cry. We were like, Phew. the middle class, nyi, nyi, you voted for him. You regretted it, but guess what? You're okay. If the current governor walked here, I don't think you'd know who she do, do we even know who the new governor is? Somebody says yes. Now that you said yes, listen to this sermon. It's for you. So take this sermon with them. Eh? But I want to ask this question. What do you want? What do you want for Kenya? What do you really want for Kenya? We're talking about the Kenya we want, but what do you really want for this country. Now, we are not alone with what we want. Okay? Because there are many, 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 many countries that are in the same position that we are. Even those people we look up to, I don't know why we look up to them, but America, we look up to them. Okay? They had a problem. They tried solving it, and they know what problem they caused for themselves. That today, America is no longer the respected nation we have. They have a fighting for a credit. The U.S. has a credibility crisis globally. Because the people who wanted to make America great again. Jijazia hapo. 
My point here is we are not alone. All over the world, there are people who want the best for their nation. And so let's go back to history. Recorded history in the book of Numbers chapter 13, there was a people called Israel. They wanted something. The Israel they want, and it was, it was written in scriptures about them leaving Egypt. And in Numbers chapter 13, I'm not going to read through this whole thing. It's a story. Please read it because next week we'll be referring to this particular story a lot. Numbers 13 chapter 1 through chapter 14 and verse 10. It's a long, long, long story, but uh, take some time to do it over the week. After leaving Egypt, let me just give you the executive summary. After leaving Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, the Lord appeared to Israel, all of Israel, the nation, at Mount Sinai. It took about a year journey for them to do that. And that at Mount Sinai or Mount Sinai, that is where God gave them the law. There, after, they moved and reached Kadesh Barnea, which was an oasis, which was about a day's journey from the southernmost point of the promised land. Moses, who was the leader of Israel, sent a reconnaissance team of 12. This is where we hear the, the, the name Caleb and Joshua. We heard Joshua before, but this is where they begin to take a prominent um, place in the, the future of Israel, of that generation. These 12 went out and they came back with news a month and a half later. And the news was indeed what God has said about the promised land is true. It is the land of milk and honey. But 10 of those spies who went on that reconnaissance team had an opinion which I want to call the majority opinion. They said it is a good place. But that good place has fortified cities. It has great armies. And we can't take them. In fact, we are going to be finished. We shouldn't have gone on this path in the first place. Two others who had a minority report, Caleb and Joshua, acknowledged the insurmountable challenge. But they went on to say it is not impossible with God. The majority persuaded the crowd and even threatened. Ended up threatening their leaders, Moses and Aaron. Threatening them with stones. Then God appeared at that point. Arrested the situation. And condemned them to wandering in the desert for 40 years and died. And then another generation took over. Who went onto the promised land settled there, conquered the lands there, settled there, and generation after generation, several generations later, we come to another story of Israel already settled. And after the debacle at Kadesh Barnea, this generation had learned what to to live as a theocracy, where God was in charge, not a president, God was in charge, and he led through an appointed judge. And at this point, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, which we are going to be reading, the prophet Samuel was appointed judge. Israel had already settled in the promised land, and Samuel had led them for some time. 
And so verse 1 of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8 goes this way. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his son as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, or Joel. And the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, Sugoi. Some of you just got that. Anyway, they said to him, you are old and your sons don't follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Remember we talked about a theocracy. Okay? So now they're saying they don't want a theocracy. They don't want me to be their leader. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for him, who are asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots. And horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your vineyards, your fields, and olive groves. And give them to his attendants. Sounding familiar? He will take a tenth of your grain, VAT, and of your vintage excise tax, and give it to his officials and attendants. That's why we now have anti corruption commission. Do you recognize that most of the people who are being there are people who worked for Gava? Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flock and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king of us. We want a king over us. Hakietu. Then we shall be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered them, listen to them and give them a king. They did not want God as their leader. Now, after that, they got who? Saul. Those of you who, this is Bible history, so work with me here. Okay? If you don't know, this is a good place to start reading from. 
Saul came. The king Saul came. And after Saul came, David. And after David came, Solomon. And after Solomon came, guys are like, uh, we didn't learn that in Sunday school. Eh? Rehoboam. I've not met somebody called Rehoboam. My people have not named somebody called Rehoboam. I've yet to meet somebody. They probably are in my village, somebody called Rehoboam. <laughs> somebody is called Jekanoff. <laughs> when my father was being baptized, he says he wanted the name Agrippa. And, uh, <laughs> and the priest there said, no, you can't be called Agrippa. Anyway, yes. So, Rehoboam was the son of Solomon and a successor. And there came a problem and an opportunity. There was an opportunity in this problem. What Saul, David, and Samuel, and sorry, and Solomon did was continue to do what Saul told them was going to happen. Okay? They oppressed them so that the kingdom would thrive. For that person to say they were oppressed. And one of the things they were oppressed was, was forced labor. We go on and see this. The prophet Isaiah speaks about it. And the prophet Amos is even more particular about this. This is the thing about forced labor. So the opportunity here was to change the conditions of their work. And Rehoboam went to get advice from the elders who are his father's contemporaries. They were old school. And they told him, dude, your father messed up here. Stop oppressing these guys. Ease on them. Get rid of this forced labor. Pay them their dues. And he said, sir. Then he went to his peers who are also his advisors, the, the ones who are in power and the ones who ruled with him. And their advice was contrary. In fact, their advice was this. You, see the way your father was rich, you can be more powerful, even more rich. So what you do is continue. In fact, make it harder for these guys. The decision that Rehoboam did was take his peers Advice. This caused civil strife and divided the nation in two. The ten of the twelve tribes went up north and said, we are not part of that, this country anymore. And started a nation known as Israel, the northern kingdom. Their capital, or their religious capital was Shechem. And in the southern kingdom, the two smaller tribes, Benjamin and Judah, and that country or that nation was called Judah. The reason why I'm telling you this is that, guys, these are people who wanted something for them. But their results that they have had are no different from us. There are similarities here. So work with me, guys, here. And I want you to work with me this is because these stories can actually help us learn what we are going through today. And I think come up with some remedies. So what can we learn from these three stories in the Bible with regards to the Kenya we want? Number one is we are inherently selfish.
Each one of you are inherently selfish. Yes, I said it. You are selfish. We seek not the good of the community, but what will benefit us and us alone. That is why we are where we are in this country. James, writing to his audience in James 3.16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. This, guys, our selfishness is what informs our social engagements and political engagements. For those who are apolitical, you are at the top. Those of you who don't watch the news, who don't care about the news, and say, I don't want, it's just negative, you are the worst. You are the most selfish. I said it. Because you who are political become the biggest problem. And let me explain to you, middle class, Nairobi. When you have a water problem, you don't take your problems to the Nairobi Water and Sewage Company or to your leaders. Do you know what you do? You buy a huge tank and then a huge pump to go with it so that when water comes, it will suck out all the water and destabilize the distribution pressure itself because you want all that for your 10,000 liter tank. And if that is a costly option for you, you move out of that neighborhood and go to another neighborhood where they have water. Have you solved the water problem? If you have a security problem, you buy your CCTV, you have a wall over here, like maybe it's like this wall over there, it now goes 10 feet tall. Raise a wire up over there. Okay? You hire a guard and then a dog and you call it Simba. <laughs> Hoping that Simba will actually be the Simba. <laughs> Have you solved your security problem? It's still there. By choosing not to engage in the destiny of your context, you become a problem. In your own neighborhood, when there is an issue and call for your participation, you don't show up. You don't. You don't give a damn. When it's time to pay the service charge, you are the last one. Your name, you know those places where the court is written. Your house number is there. But generally you're a member of Southside. You, 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 you. You're not a member of the... In fact, you don't even sit. Just attend the resident, the, your court or your flats meeting. You don't. You fail to engage in the destiny of your context, your community, your country, your county, even this continent. You deny us all the opportunity to collectively build a society that we can all live in or improve the quality of the life 
that is espoused in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is, is all about justice. Second thing that we can see from these stories that we've learned in the Bible, read in the Bible is we choose the easy path. We follow the path of least resistance. Notice I'm not going to talk about bribing here. Because we all do it. So let me move from there. I tell you the place of least resistance is we hope someone else will do the dirty work for us. We hope Boni Mwangi will do it. We want Boniface Mwangi to do it. We're saying, that's middle class. Go, body, body, body. But when he wanted us to vote for him, yeah. <laughs> where were you? That is you. You, 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 you. Nyi, nyi. You, you. Christians. People of God. Nyi, nyi. You want somebody to do the dirty work for you. So, this is Goyodera saying, me, I was engaged earlier. Okay? As a younger person, me, I was engaged. Sindio, I grew up in a, in a house of a freedom fighter. Sindio, yeah. But in my late teens, I decided, let me get engaged. But I would defer to those who are older than I am. It wasn't until my 30s that I became more vocal and decided, let me get myself in this. But what that was, was a missed opportunity. For 15 years or so, I didn't engage. I was waiting for those who are older to do what I was seeing was the problem. That's the problem of youth. You are waiting for that person to solve your problems when you yourself can't. So I'm also a victim. And also, I'm a perpetrator. I used the excuse of being young and inexperienced. I was also fearful of what the government of that day would do to a political dissenter. Because case in point, it was happening in my house. The irony of it all, guys, is that you and I claim to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. And Luke 9.23 says, if you want to be my disciple, you must first deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It is a wonder, church, why does this resolve and this courage does not transfer into our present context? That's the irony. We are supposed to be fearless for the gospel. Hallelujah. But we can't go and lobby Nairobi water or Kenya police and tell them we have a security problem. We just move to a safer neighborhood. If we say we live for Christ and can die for this cause, how is it that this same resolve, this courage cannot be applied to make our society a better place. Number three, we are okay with being popular and influential. Let me explain. And I'll explain this with using 
what the designers of the social media platforms we use today have discovered. They discovered that the human condition, something about our human condition, is our desire to be liked, to be loved, and to be noticed. These are one of our basic needs. And they discovered this and created platforms. And those who are now on those platforms have discovered how to leverage it and to begin to shape opinions and trends. That's why they are called influencers. <laughs> and you know what, guys? We are okay with that. We know nothing about their character, nothing about their capacity to give leadership, neither do we know the outcomes of what they're going to do. We're just okay with that. They tell us what to buy. They tell us what to eat. ETC. You know, that's what influencers do. Eventually, there are people we see as our hope for a better future. And some of them are going to ask you to elect them on August the 9th. And do you know what? You will still vote for them. We have believed the lie and deceived ourselves that what is popular and influential can resolve our problems. Jeremiah, talking to Judah, tells them, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Can I step on your toes? I'm already doing it. I should just go on. Eh? This actually plays out right here in church. Even here in the church, we celebrate those who are gifted. We celebrate the attractive, the eloquent, and we push them into leadership. However, the test of time unravels the truth. The truth will show that they have no solid foundation, shallow roots, no convictions. Then when they mess up, we vilify them, spit them out. That's us, the church. You think those guys, they are harsh? We are worse. And you see it on social media. When leaders in the church fail, we are the ones who castigate them the most. So how does this help cocoa production in Ghana? My million dollar question. So, I should stop. Let me stop with this uh, kichapo and let me go. Starting today, guys, we have an opportunity to redeem this situation right now, today. And it's not lost. The opportunity is not lost. In fact, we can start here and now. The first thing you need to do is don't believe the lie. You know what the lie is? The lie on what I'm calling the great deception and what I title today, some on the great deception, is that our political leaders and our leaders, rather, are the problem. 
That's the great lie. The great lie is that our leaders are the problem. Do you know who the problem or what the problem is? You. You. You are the problem. I am the problem. We are the problem. Us. It is not our leaders. Each one of you are the problem. And we need to own our issues. And like those who go through therapy and rehab for one issue or another, one of the things that you do when you get into the therapy room is acknowledge that you have a problem and the problem needs to be resolved. Once you accept that, Southside, that you are the problem, then we have made a positive step in progress in defining the Kenya we want. We need to own our issues. And the problem is the condition of our heart. The condition of our heart, and let me describe it to you, is like you are like the citizens of Jerusalem who cheered Jesus the king, took off your jackets and shook us and put them on the ground. Unlike Gorma here, winning a game. You know, that's the way they sing when they've won. Yeah? I mean, they'll do that way. Make that, or just to translate is, make way, God is, is passing. But nevertheless, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Telling the king, come, come. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. One week later, crucify him. Crucify him. We want his blood. In fact, it's okay. Bring Barabbas. And the blood is on our heads and our children. That's what we read in the book of Matthew chapter 27. That's what they said. They wanted Jesus' blood. That is the condition of each one of our heart. We are fickle. Jeremiah describes our heart this way. Chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful. Above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? So number one, once we accept this and know that this is what we bring to the conversation of the Kenya we want, then we have begun to make progress. Number two, we need to repent. And repenting is make a conscious decision to turn from the proclivities of being selfish, Choosing the easy way out and being okay with what is popular and influential. John writing his letter, the epistle in 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to repent of our condition of our heart. Because this plays out in the Kenya we want. Number three. It's not a person that will make Kenya the Kenya we want. But it's God building a collective consciousness of like-minded people, which are hopefully will be people like you in this auditorium. That change one person at a time over a period of time. It's not going to happen overnight. Allow me to read Jeremiah 17. Verse 7. Very interesting. I've been reading from Jeremiah. I'm also giving you leakage that that's where 
my sermon next week is going to come from, Jeremiah and the book of Numbers. But listen to what Jeremiah finishes to say in chapter 7, verse 8. He says this, the alternative or what this consciousness would bring about. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the streams. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Lastly, guys, the Kenya we want, we have to accept that we will not be the beneficiaries of the Kenya we want. It's going to be the next generation after us. To overcome this selfishness in our hearts, we need to be thinking 50 years from now. Parents, you need to be training your children in the ways of the Lord. It is not Pastor Mark who's going to do it. It's not Kijani that is going to do it. You need to model prayer. You need to model submission, grace, honesty, love, hard work. It's not going to be the school system that will do it. You are changing the destiny of this country by raising up the next generation. With those values, they will impart them on their children. It is the generation that comes after us that will enjoy the Kenya we want. Once we accept that, then we will not be selfish. We'll begin to say, hey, maybe I need to change my ways. Now, you know who models this for us? Jesus himself. Paul describing him in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, do not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Your attitude should be that same as that of Christ Jesus, who, though being God, did not consider that something to be grasped or to be embraced, but by obedience, humbled himself to be a man and to death, death on the cross. Jesus emptied himself for us all. Jesus modeled that. And if we cannot do that, then we are we are just relegating this country to the dogs. Knowing that he was dying and on his deathbed, I asked my father, would he want the government to compensate him for the injustice meted on him? And he said this, go with the difference between a freedom fighter and a mercenary is this. You guys know what a mercenary is, eh? All right. A mercenary is paid, but the freedom fighter is not celebrated. Shall we pray? Teach us to be selfless, Father. Teach us to be people who are not okay with being popular and influential because that is futile. That is fleeting. Teach us, Father God, to be courageous, knowing that decisions and choices we make, which are not popular, will cost us. And for some of us, 
It would even cost us dearly. Yet, Father God, you placed us in a place like this. Echoing the words of the Apostle Paul, that you placed us in a place like this, perhaps that we would pursue you, but you have already revealed yourself to us. It's not that you are not there, but that, Lord, you put us in Kenya, in the city of Nairobi, perhaps to know you more. What a great opportunity of discovering our Lord, God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. May we be men and women of conviction. Not seeking to be popular and influential, but people who are up to doing the real stuff. Dealing with the issues, transforming Kenya, but also having a long-term view of what Kenya could be. Perhaps we would see and know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So guys, eh, if you live up from uh, Changombe, ICD, on this side of, of uh, Mombasa Road, Nairobi West, Makadara, South Sea, High Rise, Dam Estate, Wilson Airport, LA, Karen, and even uh, the National Park, if you live there. You're in Langata constituency. You can actually begin there. Not that your vote is the answer. It's one of the tools. Register to vote, guys. They will be here next week. Register to vote. Deuces. Have a great week. <laughs>